1: And now, a message from the President of the United States.
0: So, no, 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 there was no, believe me, there was no bounty on our troops. There was, I would have, I wouldn't stand for that, okay? No, what happened was Vlad, great Vlad Putin, he was complimenting me on, because he's looking for paper towels for his troops. And he was complimenting me, he said, in Puerto Rico, when you threw those paper towels, that was... Sir, he even said, sir, he called me, sir. He said, sir, Donald Trump, that was some of the strongest paper towel throwing I've ever seen. And I agree, you know, you were there, you saw it. I think it was the best. It was the best. I threw it out right to those people in Puerto Rico. And nobody said, thank you. Nobody said, thank you, and that's okay. Or even gracias, I would have taken that. You know, that's two ways to th- say thank you and they didn't do either, but that's okay, that's okay. <laughs>
1: this is the last laugh i'm matt wilstein from the daily beast and that was my guest on today's bonus episode comedian jl covan as we head into this july 4th weekend i felt like nothing could be more perfect than hearing from the best trump impersonator on the internet jl started putting out his trump videos when the coronavirus pandemic left him stuck inside without the ability to hit comedy club stages and he just keeps getting better I checked in with him from his home in New Jersey, and we talked about what it's like to find viral fame overnight after toiling as a road comic for more than 15 years. He also shares his uncensored opinions about the internet's other favorite Trump impersonator, Sarah Cooper. So stay tuned for that. Okay, here's me with JL Covan. I've been in really enjoying your videos, and I know you've been doing uh, Trump for a quite a while before this in your act, right?
2: Yes, I've been doing it since I guess around 2015, I had done a video for the Adam Carolla show, where I was playing Adam Carolla, Trump, Obama. I I had done a series of videos for their show. Oh, yeah. So I started doing it right around the time he announced he was running, and then my impression got good. I I was on ESPN radio, and then I was uh, just using it as like a closing bit when I would do stand-up. It was pretty much the only impression I would do in my act at this point. So it was good, people were enjoying it. Wasn't moving anything for me. It was just, it was funny and good, but nothing was really happening. Happening.
1: <laughs> does it actually get better by working on it or does it just get better by doing it over and over again
2: At this point I don't think I'm improving anything in it I think it's where it, where it is but I think my voice has legitimately gotten roughed up from doing the impression <laughs> so much it's almost like a guitarist getting calluses on their fingers. It feels like sometimes after a long day or if I've been doing the impression for a lot, I almost start to sound a little bit more like, him. like, it's just my (laughs) voice is so roughed up that I'm like, I hope I'm not doing, how ironic that to just let even let this man's voice into me would be like a corrupting, damaging process.
1: And then you're just walking around in your life sounding like Trump. You don't want that. It's like
2: a Black Mirror episode or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is there something that you kind of do to get into it? I know I've heard other comedians who do impressions talk about like, A touchstone or something that they kind of use to slip into the impression before they start really doing it.
2: Honestly, at this point, the only thing I don't like to do is, which is rough when you're calling into morning radio shows, and I hate doing it in the morning because it's the one time where I have difficulty getting that roughness almost where it's it's coming from like back. It's almost like I am on day one of a sore throat. Yeah. Is almost how it feels. And in the morning, you wake up, you've got that like deeper voice, everything is rested. smoothed over. So a couple of times I've done Howard Stern and I will get up like two hours before a 7 a.m. call, go into another room and just start trying to talk a lot.
1: Yeah. You need to have talked a lot. Can't be the first thing you do that day.
2: Right. Not to be, it's not like I'm some sort of vocal diva, but I'm literally like, I need this to be roughed up so it sounds the way it should sound. You know, if I could call in at four in the afternoon every day, it would be A plus, but... um, (laughs)
1: It's so weird for you to kind of find this viral fame in a time when you can't get up on stage and perform comedy. I mean, what has that been like for you? Because I know you've been grinding at it for a while now. And, you know, I would say this is clearly the biggest thing to happen in in your career, right, so far? So what is that like?
2: Honestly, it sort of sucks. I I mean this all sucks for everybody, basically. So but my friends joke, I sometimes put hashtag JL Jinx on Twitter, because there have been so many things in my career, so many near hits and moments where it was like, Oh, 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 I was almost there. And then that person passed away. Or I was doing like, uh, that's why I sort of expected Trump to like quit or have a stroke or something like three days after I went viral. Because I was like, <laughs> well, this can't last. But because stand up's my favorite thing. I love everything about I love getting on stage. I love traveling across the country and just doing shows, even though it's 99% of my career has been as a middle act. I love that part of it. It's easy for me to say now, but a lot of people obviously like steady gigs, or it's like, oh, I'm on this show and, you know, I make a lot of money and I'm in one city. Or, yeah. I love the. Road aspect of it. And I've only done it the hard way, you know, like as a middle act, mm-hmm. counting your pennies to make sure you make a profit for every road trip. <laughs> yeah. So it's been tough because this is the moment I've been doing podcasts, sketches, impressions, stand up. I've put out six stand up albums, self produced, basically as a mm-hmm. feature. I've put out six hours of stand up. This was the moment I was waiting for. I thought all I need is one of the things I do to yeah. blow up and then I can bring all this body of work with mm-hmm. me. And now it's like there's nowhere to perform. I feel like I'm competing against internet fame, but it's like, once I can get on stage, I know what I can bring to the table. And I know I've been headliner ready for seven years. And this is that moment where it's like, well, now we know he's going to bring in people because he's got the numbers, the metrics, the fan base. And so I just have to hope that some sense of normalcy comes back. But
1: Do you worry that people are only going to want to see Trump when you do get back on
2: stage? Yes. But what I'm hoping is that I'm already trying to construct how would I, if I'm headlining a show, hypothetically, I think I would probably construct it with just to give people a little bit of what they want. I think I would probably do maybe a 35 minute set. Mm -hmm. Not that I can't do much more, but like and then close with some Trump and then do like, okay, let's get a microphone out there. Let's do a 15 minute Q&A with the president. So therefore... I've done longer than a feature set. So they've gotten their stand up fill and hopefully have really enjoyed it. And then they get what some of them are there for, you yeah. know? And I feel like that's a good way maybe to compromise at first. But I would hope the stand up club venue would be a little bit of a filter. Not 100%, mm-hmm. but some people would just be like, oh, I like his videos on the web, but I don't want to go out. But some people are like, I like stand-up. Let's go see him. We know him and maybe he'll be good at stand-up too. So I would hope I could turn that, you know, I don't want it to be up there and people screaming Freebird at me, you know, four minutes into the set, but, you know, we'll see.
1: Well, what's so evident, your besides your ability to mimic his voice, is the improv skills that you're displaying in these videos is what really impresses me and just your ability to go on as Trump and without a script. script without, it mimics his style of speaking. So why is it so important to you that it is this kind of dream of consciousness improv style that you bring to it?
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorite things that I've had happen to me during this is the hundreds of co-writers that apparently want to get hired by me on Twitter (laughs) who are just sending me like speeches and paragraphs going, you should do this. (laughs) And I always say to people, he doesn't like to be scripted. So I've done things where I've read pretended to read a speech or something on, on some of my videos. And it's always this annoyed, laborious process of, struggling with the words, feeling like literally restrained from doing what you want. It's like somebody's punishing him when they make him read. So being improv, and I'm not a big improv, I mean, I've just been doing comedy so long and I've been doing the impression so long that I can really occupy that space pretty easily. It's the only way I think to really do a top Trump impression is because once you get scripted, you're already almost setting yourself back from being him because he only reluctantly scripts anything. He wants to be going on any thought that comes into his head. And I've always said to people, I said, what you have to do is you have to be willing to go on a ridiculous journey and take nine tangents. The place to come back to is always, I'm great. How does this help me or hurt the people I don't like? So you can talk about words and colors and trips and people in the audience, but it always has to come back to how great you're doing. So that's your North Star, I guess. Mm -hmm. What was
1: the first video that really blew up? And what was that experience like? Because I know you have a day job. No one's a full-time comedian right now because can't get up on stage. But what was that experience like when it really started to take off?
2: Well, so I said, let me just make like a selfie video. I don't feel like putting on any makeup. I have nothing, but I'm bored. Everybody's home. And I made this video on March 11th after his disastrous speech addressing COVID for, I don't know if it was the first time, but like it was his prime time speech.
1: March 11th was like the day when everything happened.
2: And my Rudy Gobert, I'm a Utah jazz fan by some really weird coincidence for 30 years. Rudy Gobert was like, the NBA player of the year by some metric in terms of who did the most to impact our sport. So I thought I was like, this is weird. This is all like Mm -hmm. coming together on me on the things that I like or do. So I did this video on my couch and it got like 18,000 views on Twitter. And I picked up like 50 followers, a couple of comedians Mm -hmm. I know with nice followings retweeted. And I was like, oh, nice. yeah, Cool. So I did a few more and then none of them hit as big as that. And then on March 24th, I was about to walk my dog and a buddy of mine, very political minded guy, texted me and said, says, can you believe this? He just said he wants to reopen the economy by Easter. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, hold the dog for a second. I think this would make a funny video. Now, it's not in my experience to go, I think this might go viral and change my career. I just said, this is probably going to be funny. Maybe I can match that earlier video that did so well. So I riffed for two minutes on Easter and a pay-per-view event with Trump versus God to see who can save more people on Easter. And it just, over the next like 72 hours, maybe really 48 hours, exploded. Mm -hmm.
0: God rose him from the dead on a holiday we now call Easter. Not a lot of people know that, but it's... It's called Easter. It's when Jesus and the two Corinthians met the Easter bunny and came back from the dead. So, you know, it's a beautiful story, very important for the Christians like me. And I have decided, I'm announcing today, we are going to bring back the economy on Easter Sunday because God, who, to be honest, is, you know, he's a good God. He's done some some strong things, some, let's be honest, his record is like not so great though.
1: I did love that I saw the Trump campaign advertising on one of your videos, which I don't think they're doing intentionally, but it's just how YouTube ads work, right?
0: Oh, I thought that was great.
2: I said, that's great. If my videos can help waste (laughs) some of his campaign spending, I think that's as good as anything I can do. Yeah,
1: I think this one was Laura Trump speaking before your videos. I had to, you know, skip it.
2: I wish it was at least Donald Trump. I feel like that's insulting in and <laughs> They gave you Laura. They gave me third tier trunks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when something is going viral like this and is, there must be some pressure to keep putting out new ones every day and kind of keep up with demand and not let it fall off. Do you feel that? Is that hard or is that something
2: you like? I do a little bit, but I'm pretty prolific as is. I don't feel any guilt. Like if somebody's like, you should do this. I'm like, I did three videos this week. It's fine. Enjoy. But what I have noticed, I'm not becoming maybe a Twitter addict, but they There is something that happened. I remember when that first week in March, when I really blew up, I was really kind of overwhelmed in a positive way. There was nothing negative coming my way. It's overwhelming, I'm sure. But it was overwhelming because I felt like I had achieved the level that I thought I should be at. But instead of it happening over the course of six to eight years when I had been grinding and putting out good content, it happened in a week or in five days. I have noticed that there have been moments where people are calling me erroneously a copycat or in some cases, questioning my race for Mm -hmm. whatever their reasons are. And putting out a new video always makes me feel better. And I feel like that's almost a dangerous thing because it almost feels like I, I've done a controlled experiment on myself yeah. with the effects of social media. And I go, you need that hit. It's not that I do it because I'm like, I got to do this because it'll make me feel good. But then every time I do it, I go, ah, that feels great. And it is, it's is—it's funny, but it's nice to see the immediate surge of positive. And I thought to myself, I think that's why Trump goes on these because he's an unhinged, he's just ego and that's it. And I guarantee you, he loves it when he, and he's even quoted as saying this, I put out a tweet and then you see like things change and you get all these likes and retweets.
1: Like, that's why he's doing it in the middle of the night. For him, he puts out a tweet and then few seconds later, it's on TV. So that must really feel good, right? (laughs) Right.
2: So when I see that, I I think genuinely, not that I have great sympathy for him, but I think this is somebody who's already someone who we shouldn't be on social media, who is probably, if I'm receptive to it, he's ODing on it, basically. And I realized, I said this years ago, I said, I don't think we realized how good it was to have somebody of Obama's, forget politics, but his temperament as president in the social media age. And I think if Joe Biden wins for all the things he may be good or not good Good at, I think it'll be a return to that sort of I'm going to do the job and I'm going to be on guard and cautious of like falling into sort of Internet gossip and Internet highs. Whereas Trump is the other way. He's the he's not a control. He's the worst on the other end. Like Obama was the most calm, perfect demeanor person to handle stress and accolades, and Trump is the absolute worst person to do that. So maybe Biden will be more in the middle, closer (laughs) to Obama.
1: If you have any competition on social media, it's probably Sarah Cooper, who I'm sure you're aware of. Do you think about it that way? And what do you think of her videos? Because it's very different what she's doing, but it's in the same world.
2: If I'm being honest, I think the numbers don't lie. She has no competition right now. As far as things that have annoyed me the most during this whole period, and this is where the stand-up comedian in me forgets to be a business person and just speaks honestly. Her fans have been the thing that have annoyed me more than anything else. Really? I, and it's not, mo- let me let me put it this way. She's got one and a half million. It's, you know, it's it's 50 of them. I don't want to be like the coop. I jokingly call them the coop and I call my group the coven. <laughs> yeah, it's so so I, I need to be honest there and say, of course it's a small, but the complaints are always the same. Mm-hmm. You're stealing from her and then I just do a fact check of, no, I'm not. I started it first. I'm doing something that I consider more difficult, more time on Honored as a sort of comedic art form. Most of the time, half the time I get an apology a third of the time like you know a quarter of the time I get blocked. And a quarter of the time I get people going, I don't care, Sarah's better. And I go, okay, I don't understand what you wanted out of this. But I laughed at a few of her videos. I have to be very careful not to sound condescending, but I guess by prefacing like that, I already sound condescending. (laughs) I think it's cute and I've seen a lot of stuff like that on TikTok and it hit and that's great for her and it's bringing a lot of people enjoyment. Like I said, I've laughed at, at multiple videos of hers, but... I do feel sort of, and this is sort of my personality, I'm a competitive person, but I do feel somewhat disrespected to have emerged with sort of the undisputed best impression of this guy that's operating on a very detailed, specific level. And then to have to sort of share the spotlight as if we're doing the same thing. When people go, you're both equally great at impersonating Trump. And I go, I have to sit there and go, yeah, well, thanks. And in my head, I'm going, no, we're not. And that's okay. That's not an insult, but it's taken that way. People are, and then there's been the few fans of hers that have attacked me as a white man stealing from a black woman. And that one infuriated me because I'm half black. I know I look well, you see me, I look beige. A racist guy yelled at me in my DMs with a bunch of Mexican slurs. Okay. So I thought, well at least this guy <laughs> sees that I'm something other than white. So In a weird way, thank you, bigot, for seeing me more fully than some of the Cooper fans. But that irritates me, too, because that becomes a thing of people saying, and I'm sorry if this answer is long, but people have been saying to me, you have to admit, though, her as a a woman and a person of color, it's going to hit Trump harder. And I go, well, I'm half Haitian. And he went after Haiti specifically during his presidency as a shithole. And I go, but I don't look... And that's sometimes, and I'm a, I'm a left of center guy politically, but sometimes that irritates me where it's, sometimes people will throw labels and demographics at you because it makes them feel good about their support. And when somebody looks at me, they're not going to feel like they're helping some struggling half Haitian comedian. <laughs> they're just like, that giant white guy, he's doing all right for himself, I guess. And I go, I'm not looking for any bonus appreciation, but it's weird to be so dismissed by the people who claim to be sort of like loving the righteous progressive comedy coming out of both of us
1: no i mean i think what as you said i think what she does is so different from what you do and i think they both have their own value and both exist i see what you mean and
2: the truth is i have nothing nothing bad to say about her she's had an amazing run and she's making tons of people laugh and during a very rough time so that's that's an absolute good but the stand-up comic in me the trump impression represents even all the content I put out represents less than 10% of like my career and comedic output. It's sort of doubly annoying, I guess, to not only not be recognized for how good this one thing I'm doing is, but then to be like, but I'd appreciate if you'd see more of my work and you'd see it in the context of a really strong comedy artist, even though I hate to use sort of pretentious terms. So it's sort of doubly annoying because I would love to be known for my stand-up. But to then be known as like the second best of something that I think I'm clearly the best at is a little annoying.
1: (laughs) Speaking of that, so is there a world where you would want to do the impression in on TV or in in other ways? Because I think there's been this interesting thing with Trump impressions, especially with Saturday Night Live went through their series of Trump impersonators, and finally landing on Alec Baldwin. And it's a trend that's been on SNL for a while now, is using big celebrities, cameos to come in instead of hiring up-and-coming comedians like they did for so many years. So I'm curious what you make of that, and is that something that you would want to do if that was even an opportunity?
2: Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I would either be on Saturday Night Live, my perfect world, maybe not for other people, but in my perfect world, I'd be on Saturday Night Live or on a reboot of In Living Color or something. <laughs> yeah. Like Saturday Night Live, I sort of in my head have given up on that. Mm-hmm. And I've never even had so much as an audition or anything. So I've never been on any radar. I always thought, hey, I do a lot of impressions. I'm 6'7". So I, I could embody, obviously, different characters that they don't usually have somebody for that kind of size. And I always thought I could, Take over the sort of Fred Armisen. Hey, if we need a multiracial <laughs> sort of character who can do voices, accents, and mm-hmm. play different roles, and not have it be deeply offensive, I always thought I could. Somebody could pitch me, but I never had anybody to pitch me for anything like that. But that would be. I'd love to be on a sketch show like SNL or or a new one or whatever. But. I'm 41, there's no reason to give up on things, but I also know that shows tend to skew younger, they tend to look for younger people. And I think SNL, I genuinely think they have an extremely talented cast that they are underserving by constantly going to stunt casting. Half the time where it seems unnecessary, like where you just seem like they're saying, oh, we just, this person was in town doing a show and we can get them. And it's like, but somebody on the cast may very well have been able to pull that off. I wish, irrespective of my future, I think they have a lot of good people on that show that they should rely on and maybe bring in a few more people instead of going with seven celebrities per episode.
1: Yeah. What do you think of uh, Fred Armisen's Obama? Because I, I, he got some crap for that for just because he's not black. But did you think it, it was a good impression? Or Because I know you have an Obama too.
2: Yeah. And my Obama's rusty now. But uh, let's just put it this way. I closed my shows for five years with my Obama impression. So, of course, I sat there as a son of a black immigrant and a white American mother with my great Obama impression. Doing comedy, going. God, I wish somebody could find me for this. That's the story of my career. I'm always like, I feel like that literally would be perfect for me. Fred Armisen is a very talented dude, but I did not think his Obama impression was anywhere near his top contribution to the show.
1: Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was kind of your first uh, brush with viral fame, was your Louis C.K. video, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> oh, thank you. And this was, of course, before Louis C.K.'s controversy. You were just, you were kind of generally making fun of him. Yes. At his style of comedy (laughs) how did that come about and what was kind of the conceit of that video
2: at the time of louis ck sort of he was sort of the undisputed champ of stand-up comedy for several years and i remember people would mention him and i'd never really been familiar i was a greg giraldo guy i really like currently and still like then and now bill burr chris rock is probably my all-time favorite but giraldo had recently passed but burr was comics comic coming up real Brilliant comic. But Louis C.K. was, it was just like, oh my God, Louis C.K. Every comic had this kind of, you know, it reminded me of the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he dresses up as the conductor and everybody's going, Leopold, Leopold. Sorry if people haven't seen that Looney Tunes. But it was like, oh my God, Louis C.K. You've seen Louis C.K. Have you seen, if he, Louis. It was Louis. He was Louis. Yeah. It was Madonna, Beyonce, yeah, and Louis. Louis. Yeah. And I watched his stuff and I always thought to myself, I was like, he's good. And I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I was like, he clearly wasn't resonating with me. In other words, oh no, that's a good joke, but I didn't like... I just didn't like the way he did stand up. Plenty of people did. That was yeah. just a taste thing. That wasn't mm-hmm. me saying he's terrible. I liked the Bill Burr, aggressive, in-your-face, tackling issues like a fighter instead of the kind of, uh, well, I don't care who the fuck you, like, whatever. <laughs> like, like. So that was just a taste. But every time I said that, every comic, I started being labeled a hater. I was like, I'm not hating. He's just not my favorite so I said, you know what, let me embrace this. Let me just attack Louis C.K.'s comedy the best I can. And since I'm good at mimicry, I went all out and just did a series of knock-knock jokes for a fake special. But the meandering, I hate my kids, throwing F-bombs into knock-knock jokes kind of thing, that one sort of blew up, especially within comedy. But I'd been on the road you know, five years later and people were saying, you were the guy who did the Louis bit. So that made me sort of known within comedy. So my daughter comes up to me the other day and she says, Daddy, I want to tell you a knock-knock joke. And you haven't heard a knock-knock joke until you've heard Louis C.K. tell one. Knock-knock. And I go, who's there? And she goes, Interrupting Cow. And I'm like, Interrupting Cow. And before I can finish it, she says, Moo. And I was like, you're an asshole. Like, my kid, like, that's why mommy and daddy are divorced. Because you can't shut up when an adult is talking. Like.
1: I my kids. Were you worried at all, though? Because, I mean, he was such a hero of comedy at that time. Again, this was before his uh, downfall.
2: Maybe it's hurt me. I don't know. But the way I've always tried to approach comedy is if it's funny and it's my voice, I can't hold back because this isn't about doing offensive stuff. This is like comedies about, you. I'm Catholic, I go to mass every week. I'm not going to sit there and go, excuse me, the Pope is off limits. That means something to people or the church abuse scandal I'd rather not hear about. Of course not. But comics tend to be very protective of their own sacred cows and very dismissive of everyone else's. Now, I'm okay with the dismissive part, but you can't sit there and say, hey, man, like, he's a con, like, that's, you're just a hater trying to, like, build up your rep, tearing him down. I'm like, if I can tear him down as a no-name comedian doing a great impression, maybe he should be torn down. And I don't believe that. I'm just saying, if he's not able to fend off a good impression,
1: then what's he doing? What I'm curious about is, what do you think the Trump impression, what kind of impact do you think it could have, want it to have? Do you think about that at all?
2: Honestly, I mean, I've had some political groups contact. Me and I've done some things for like a political group. So I'm perfectly content to do that. But for me, I never do anything in comedy where being funny isn't my primary drive. I know people like this. And what's weird about this impression and, and the coronavirus despair that we're living through is how many people have contacted me and said, wow, like, you know, my family's going through a tough time, but we really love getting together and laughing at your videos. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't, and I don't know if this is the direction you're thinking, but I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. Cause I'm literally not thinking about cheering people up in that way. I'm just like, it's a really good impression. I make good original content. So people will laugh. So on that level, it's been rewarding unexpectedly to know that people are really, finding some comfort but as far as anything broader politically or whatever, if I can make him look like more of an idiot or turn him into more of a laughing stock, I'm all for it. Whenever somebody says respect the office, I go, the guy in the office has to respect the office for me to respect it. And he's so far from any kind of respectability that it's it's ridiculous. You know, when George Bush, who I wasn't a fan of, you know, visited the troops on Thanksgiving by surprise in whatever, 2003, me and, you know, I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. I wouldn't think that about Trump. Do You know what I mean? Like, cause I think he's a wretched human being. And I think it's, if I make him look worse somehow or make him seem more absurd to a few more people, that's, that's all good because he's the worst.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the best and thank you for, for doing this. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I forward to seeing what you do next. And once we all uh, can get out again, seeing you on stage sometimes. So.
2: Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me.
1: Thank you so much to JL for being my guest on this bonus episode. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at JLCAUVIN and subscribe to his show, Making Podcasts Great Again, wherever you get your podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible and you can help by sharing it with your friends and of course, giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode